Thank you, Mensa. There were some interesting sounds on the tail there. It's probably my mom. Um, but welcome, everyone, especially if you're online. Um, we are going to give you some personal updates before we get stuck into the preach. Uh, if you don't know, my wife, Laura, is seven months pregnant now. Uh, she's up there in the production box. And uh, I don't know if anyone's pregnant recently. You, you follow on your app and you check the developments of your baby and you find out when they have eyesight, you find out when their hearing develops, you find out how big they are. And uh, this week uh, now, I think like a week ago, the baby started dreaming. Um, so I started to think about if you were in the womb your whole life, what are these dreams that you are having? I mean, I know you can hear my voice, so I know that's part of the nightmare. It's me droning on me me preaching, uh, and, and then just some, some stomach acid, some amniotic fluid. That's pretty much the only nightmare that can be concocted because the baby hasn't actually seen the world. Um, so we can pray for my baby. He's apparently dreaming about acids in my voice, so he's tripping out right there. Uh, but we are now in the phase where we're starting to have to get ready, man, because it's like nearly January, and January is the month. And so we're preparing the room you know, that's a fun part of it. You can pray while you're preparing the room. And uh, we, we're getting ready for all of that. And it's a special time. It's a special time of preparation for us. And uh, we're starting to read up. Hopefully, it'll give us some kind of advantage of, no, of knowing a little bit what we're in for. But Nikita will tell me it doesn't matter what they say in the books. It's just going to happen. And just got to roll with the punches. We're just trying to learn some things before we get there. Hopefully, it'll help us start a bit better. And it uh, reminds me of when we did premarital counseling. And we, we intended to start our marriage strong. Um, and we've been married nearly five years now. But the real test of marriage, of course, is does, does, does your marriage last well for your lifetime? Are you happily married when you're old and gray? You know, my, our parents, both Laura and my parents, are all still married. You know, pen, around pension age, they still love one another. They're still married. That's brilliant. That's where you marriage, mar, marriage, where you, I don't even know what word I'm trying to use here, where you measure the success of marriage is the long haul. You're going to have to look when you're old and gray how you're doing there. I think parenting somewhat the same. We've got to look at the long haul, and we've got to count our faithfulness to the end with the task that God has given us. And that's where we're going to be putting our focus today. It's about finishing well. It's about the fact that we're faithful, but we don't stop. We're faithful all the way to see us through to the end. And we're looking at the Apostle Paul. You guys know, this is a guy that was leading and bleeding. He was shipwrecked. He had a tough time. But what he did is he finished the race that God had given him. He finished strong. And so I want to preach a sermon today about how we finish strong. Not that we would know all that much about Paul's finishing strong from the book of Acts, because as you guys might already know, we've been following, like he got falsely accused, he got nearly assassinated, uh, he got falsely imprisoned, then he wanted to appeal to Rome, so he wanted to go there, he got shipwrecked, and then he gets there, and we're all involved in the drama. We're like, cool, Lukey boy, tell us, bro, what happened with the trial? Did he get set free? What's the deal? And this is what it says. So he got to Rome, he lived there two whole years at his own expense, Thank you for that detail. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
the end. And you're like, uh, but what happened? What happened, Keegan? This is, this is a question. We want to know all the deets. And so we don't know from Acts. And so forgive me if I don't preach all that much from Acts today because there's not much in there at the end. So tradition tells us after this abrupt ending that in fact Paul was released because his accusers never even rocked up. That he was released but he was later prosecuted and executed under Roman law. But before that happened, he wrote the books of Titus and First and Second Timothy, the pastoral epistles. And so if you want to see Paul when he's at his last, you've got to look at these epistles. And in fact, the last words that Paul wrote before he just greeted people and stuff, the last proper words that he wrote in the Bible are these ones. We're going to read them. This is what he wrote. This is him finishing strong. Second Timothy 4, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, an epitaph is something that you write on a tombstone, and this is, the, this is a written record of this is who this man was. Well, Paul writes his own, and he says, this is the personal assessment of my life. I'm about to die, but I want you to know, <coughs> if I cough ridiculously, I'm just, just recovering from COVID, so just bear with me on that life. He says, I'm not contagious, don't worry. He says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, and I have kept the faith. I wonder what would be written on your tombstone. I wonder what would be the assessment of your life if you would be able to say at the end, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. But that's where he's at. And so we need to learn from this guy, how do we finish strong? If Paul finished like that, what can we glean from him? Well, three things. Firstly, live as a drink offering. Secondly, a mindset change that death is an adventure. And thirdly, an instruction to fight the good fight. Now, I'm aware that some people, as we're talking about ending strong, are thinking, but I'm not near death's door. I'm a young person, man. I'm good to go for a long time. But the thing is that if you want to finish strong, you actually, if you want to run hard today and you want to run accurately the race that God has put before you, you have to consider the end of the race. You have to be fueled today on the basis of where you're going. So we need to reverse engineer from the end point to today so that we run our race effectively that God has for us today. It's going to take a strong view of the end. And Paul says this, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. He's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he's saying, Tim, I know I'm about to die, but he doesn't want the work that he started to finish when he dies. He's hoping that Timothy's gonna be a worthy successor, a guy that's gonna be strong in God's word, a guy who's gonna be strong at heart, and he's gonna be courageous for all of his days, so that the work that Paul started, it continues. And so he writes this letter, and he says, but my time is almost up. And he says, I'm a drink offering. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you might know that there were these animal sacrifices people gave to atone for sin. And so they would put an animal on the altar and that animal would be sacrificed. But that wasn't all that was on the altar. You also had flour mixed with oil on top of that. 
So it would smell a bit like a braai with braai broikis, ne? So you've got the lamb chops and then you've got the braai broikis, ne? That's the kind of thing that it would smell like. But then on top of that, they would throw a drink offering on top, which was like a sweet wine that would bring out the aroma of the meat on that altar. And Paul says, that is my life. I am nothing but a drink that is thrown to make sweet the smell of Jesus everywhere that I go. My life is on the altar. I never sought for myself to prosper myself. I didn't live for my goals, my dreams, my riches, my prestige. I've lived my life as a drink offering. And all that I've wanted to do with my time is to bring the sweet smelling aroma of the sacrifice of Jesus to everyone that I spoke to, everywhere that I went for all the days of my life. And if we wanna finish strong, we need to be of the same heart that we say my life's objective is just this, that I'm bringing the sweet smell of what Jesus has done everywhere that I go. As for me, I'm a drink offering. I'm just poured out for the sake of Jesus. I just want people to know who he is, how he loves them, who he is. Pour yourself out as a drink offering. He decided that that was his attitude for me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. If I live, I live for Jesus. If I die, I die for Jesus. But either way, I'm all for Jesus. He's my Lord. He's the one that I live for. So he didn't choose to live out the end of his days thinking about how he could spoil himself in his retirement. Uh, if I can borrow an analogy from John Piper in his preaching, he got up one day, bunch of young people, he was on the top of a hill, the wind was blowing, his hair was looking whack, and he was there, he stood there with a Reader's Digest article, and he read the story about these two people, uh, the article was called Start Now, Retire Early, and he read about Bob and Penny, how they retired early, 51, 59, and how they had saved up for it, they planned it out, and now they're retiring so they can spend some time on their cruise ship and go to the beach and collect shells for the rest of their days. <laughs> and John Piper says, what a tragedy that they would spend the last chapter of their life before they meet their maker to give an account of their life that they have, that their highest goal is to cruise around and say, Lord, this is what I've done with my life, my shell collection. And John Piper's point in his sermon is don't buy the American dream. That what your life is about is about accumulating comforts for yourself so you can retire and chillax and just cruise around and collect shells. My point in my sermon is this. That is not the picture of what it means to finish strong. And we need to recalibrate what it means to finish strong because society is throwing one thing out at us. We need to believe finishing strong is the last of my days is poured out for Jesus. That my life is gonna be spent in my gray years the most sold out for Jesus that I ever was. That I'd build up the church like never before. And that I might have a crooked flipping back and my voice might be shot by then. I might look like an absolute weirdo, but I'm gonna serve Jesus when I'm old and gray. God wants to know from you and from me, are you gonna aim for shells on the beach or are you gonna aim that in your last years are your best years of living for Jesus? Pour out your life as a drink offering. 
The applications for us, of course, is if we're at work, we're there to be an offering. We're there to make people know about Jesus through our diligence, our integrity, our hard work, the way that we speak. We've got the accent of heaven. The, when we, with our family, there might not be an easy crowd, but God is wanting to know if you bring out the flavor of Jesus even there with your time, your listening, your consideration, your love, your care, all of that stuff, that with your stuff that you have, are you going to be generous saying, but this belongs to the Lord, I'm going to pour it out. It's my offering. My time is not my time. It's the Lord's. I'm going to give it. My money is not my money. It's God's. I'm going to give it. God wants to know if you're going to use your stuff to be a pleasing aroma. But the biggest application, of course, is that we must reject the American dream and dream a new dream today. The dream that my gray years are my best years for Jesus. That I'm going to be more sold out then than I am today. And that we're on a trajectory to say, I'm going to not just be faithful and then cruise. I'm going to go be running for Jesus all of my days. So the first ingredient of finishing strong is consider your life as just a drink offering. The second ingredient, and it's an important mindset, is that death is an adventure. Death is an adventure. So he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For I'm being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Now consider this guy's not going on holiday. He's not going for a trip to uh, Auntie Louise. This guy's departure means I'm going to die and I'm departing to another place. So this is a very intriguing word when you study it in the Greek. There's kind of three meanings to it in Scripture. The first one is that the portrayal is that death is this analusis. It is being unyoked from our burdens. That this departure, this death, is actually to be, the picture is of an animal <clears throat> that is yoked and that is used for labor. But there's a day that it gets unyoked that the burden gets removed from this work animal and that they set free from their labor. And Paul is saying, it's the end of my labor. I have toiled, I've had hardship, but it's the end. I'm being freed. Number two, second meaning of this, is putting down your tent. It's the untying of the cables of a tent. Nomads, they would come, they would set up camp, and then they would take down camp. And Paul is saying, I'm gonna take down my tent and frankly, I'm not putting the tent up again because I'm going to the room that the Father has prepared for me in heaven. There's no need for tents there. So I'm taking down my tent and I'm going to live in my permanent residence. So death is a departure from nomadic living on earth to a permanent living in heaven. And the third meaning, and I think this is the main meaning of the scripture here, is that it means the untying but it's talking mostly about the untying of a ship that is at the dock, that is at the pier, at the port. And so this is actually an amazing way to look at death if you're in Jesus, that death is actually a letting go of being in the port to go on the great adventure and the great voyage that we've been designed for. How many of you know ships were not meant to just look pretty in the dock? and just sit there gleaming, they were meant to sail the waters. And you were made for the tides and the ocean of heaven, that God has wired you to actually go on a great adventure with him. And death is actually not the end, it's the beginning of a great adventure. It's the untying of the ship as it gets let loose for the fair havens of heaven. Now, if you take the three together, death in Jesus is a, is a crazy thing. I know death sucks, and God didn't create death. Death came in with us. 
It's an enemy of God, but Jesus is the defeater of death. Through his sacrifice on the cross and his, his victory with his resurrection, death has got a different meaning in Jesus than it does anywhere else. That death in Jesus is a hope thing. That death in Jesus, firstly, is the laying down of all of your burdens, your, your toil, and being set free from all of that. The second meaning of it is laying down your temporary living and going to live permanently with your Father in heaven. And thirdly, it is the start of the greatest adventure of your life. The ropes are going to be cut and you're going to set sail and find yourself on a great voyage. And he says, the time of my departure is near. Now, not, some of us don't relate. Some of us are like, I don't feel like my time is near. But God wants you to consider on the basis of how short life is that your time is near. When we were young, we said a year is a long time. Do you remember? Oh, a whole year. Now, look at this year, 2022. It's gone. Here we are in November already. What has happened to this year? Every month passes. I'm like, is that a thing? Okay, okay, rent time again. That happened. Just like that. Even if God has allotted many more years for you, I want you to consider that time is short in comparison to eternity. And that it would be a tragedy that God says it's time for you to set sail, but we find that our ship is not seaworthy. That we find that we are not ready. Do you know for a fact where you're going when you die? Do you have a deep assurance of your heart that you're going to meet your Father in heaven? Because if you're not sure of that, today is the day to come to the front and let us know things are not all right between me and God. And we would love to help you with that because Jesus has paid a price and he has sacrificed himself for you to have assurance and to be adopted as one of the sons of the Father. And that you can know like you know that the day that the cable gets cut and the day that it's the end, that you set sail and you go on the greatest adventure of all your life. It says in Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So it's a departure. It's a voyage. It's an adventure. C.S. Lewis, uh, one of the great writers, he writes a children's story and all the characters are going to die. Who writes a children's story where all the characters are going to die? Only a Christian guy that's trying to make a Christian point. So he makes this Christian point as all of his, his, his characters are dying. He says of them, all their life and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. When it comes to heaven, we don't know what we're talking about. This life is just the title and the cover page of your life. And after that becomes the chapter where every, the book where every chapter is better than the one before. This is just a minute thing. And if we want to finish strong, we've got to get the perspectives right of what's important, what's big and what's small. What's small? This life. What's big? Eternity. We've got to get that one right. And if you don't have a worldview that believes in life after death, I want you to just log the fact, I remember doing this in my atheist days, that if there's no life after death, then eventually two generations from you, three generations from you, no one will remember who you were, what you did, and nothing that you did will ever matter at all. And given a long enough trajectory of humankind, when the earth 
this gets destroyed by the sun or whatever the fate is of the earth, and there's no more people to record or collect any memories that have ever happened, nothing that ever, anyone has ever done in the world will ever matter at all, and all of life is meaningless. There's no point to live if there's no life after death. I remember thinking about it when I was still an atheist. But if the Bible is true, then what you do now matters because what you do echoes into eternity. That what happens on the title and the cover page is just the title, but it is a good summary of what happens in eternity in the chapters of the book. The chapters of the book are gonna echo from what you do here and now. And so in the Christian worldview, because there is life after death, it matters. Your life now matters because eternity matters. You get the reasoning comes from eternity to the relevance of now. This is an important thing because the desires in our heart prove that life matters. If there was no meaning to life, why are we campaigning for justice in this? Why does that injustice hurt us? Why do we fall in love? These things cannot be explained by evolutionary microorganism mistakes that have transpired because it seems there's a significance to life. Our desires prove we were not made for this world. We were made for heaven. And C.S. Lewis puts it this way in Mere Christianity. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably earthly pleasures, all they were supposed to do was they weren't meant to satisfy, but they only arouse it to suggest the real thing. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life. I must press onto that other country and I must help others to do the same. That's what it's about. And you know, we can't possibly fathom the riches of heaven. I said earlier in the sermon, what on earth does a baby dream about that's only been in the womb? I want to, you to consider that an analogy for us on earth trying to contemplate the riches of heaven. If a baby in the womb cannot contemplate dreaming because they haven't seen felt textures, they haven't had three-dimensional experiences, all they've had is flipping amniotic fluid. And that's like us sitting here in this world, like surrounded by amniotic fluid, trying to consider the riches of heaven. The love that you've tasted this side of eternity is just, like C.S. Lewis says, a pointer towards the absolute love of falling into your Savior's arms. The feeling of fulfillment, the down payments that you feel now are just kind of faint reflections of the awesomeness of what it is to be fulfilled on that day. And everything on this earth, the best that you know is just the tiniest, most fractional, infinitesimal little reflection of the awesomeness of what heaven is like. It says in Psalms that the trees are gonna dance. And I don't know about you, but I'm much more advanced than a tree. That we're talking about a botanical object, I'm a more advanced creature than it. And if the flippant trees are gonna dance, what am I going to do? I probably won't dance unless I'm redeemed. Show us. <laughs> and Vicar said, Who's, are you on the dance floor today? That's what he said when I came to preach. But if the trees will dance, I bet you these five senses are gonna be put to shame when we're in heaven. That all that we've experienced, the layers of all that we are, haven't seen anything yet. The riches of heaven are immense. Don't live for the stupid shells. The title on the cover page, what a waste of a life. Live for eternity. It's the only thing that's worth it. But I wanna push this analogy further. That we say, 
in pregnancy, the baby can hear the mom and the dad. They recognize their voice distinctly by a certain age in the womb, but they've never seen our faces. Imagine the day that a baby starts to comprehend and connect the voice to the face. It says in 1 John, one day we will see him face to face. The one that we have loved and we have had faith in and we have served, but we've never seen him. But one day, it won't just be a, a little voice. We are going to behold our Lord and Savior face to face. We are made for greater things. And if I can push the analogy even further, right now, Laura and I are preparing a room for our baby. He's going to live with us. He's part of our family. It says this in the Gospel of John. In my father's house, there's many rooms. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, I'll take you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. The father is preparing a room for you. And we should not get caught up in the things of now. We should be living for those things. And so as people that wanna be in our father's house, God is building a house and a room for people that are building his house on earth. If you wanna be having the Father prepare a room for you in eternity, you have to be building his church this side of eternity. We have to be a people that are busy. Not just once a week I go to church, once a week I go to city group, no. My whole life revolves around the fact that I live for Jesus. I'm building his kingdom. That's who I am. And if that's who we are, the Father says, I'm building a room for you. You're coming to live with me. So if you want to finish strong, you've got to have the right perspective. That death, that's the best thing that will ever happen to you if you're in Jesus. Because you, this world has sin, this world has hurt, this world has death, you are called to leave it. And you're called to the land of death no more, suffering no more, tears no more, wheelchairs no more, hearing impediments no more, cancer no more, regrets no more. The land of the living, the one with Jesus. That's what we called for. If you want to finish strong, that's what we got to live for. And the third ingredient of the, is fight and finish. He says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. A fight, a course, a faith. And he says, I've done it. The first thing he says, I fought the good fight. And the word used there for fought is when gladiators are in agony. In fact, the word agonde, Greek, is where we get the English word agony from. I have fought, I have agonized all of my life, fighting the old sin, fighting the old man, living for Jesus. I fought the good fight. I haven't, I haven't tapped out, I didn't call for time out, I just kept fighting until the end. But guess what, I'm at the end, I fought the good fight. Secondly, he says, I have finished the race. He started his race when he was saved at the Damascus Road. But he says, 30 years since then, I never stopped running. I just ran the race that God had for me. And I finished my race. And the application for us is don't stop running. Don't stop running. God doesn't take breaks. The kingdom of God doesn't take a December break off and then it's gonna engage again on the 5th of January. God's kingdom keeps going and he's called you and me to be trees that bear fruit in season and out of season. 
And God intends for you to not stop running. This isn't about work now. This is about spiritual things of pursuing Jesus. So if there's something that God has laid on your heart, do it now. Don't procrastinate the things that God gives to you. If there's someone in your family that you need to reconcile with, do it now. If there's some ministry God has laid in your heart to start, do it now. If there's a business God is asking you to take to the next level, do it now. If there's some step of obedience God wants you to take, do it now. Because tomorrow, God has his own instructions for you. But you're gonna demote yourself if you're not obedient to God today. God wants to say, be obedient to me today. Keep running your race. Don't turn to the left. That's not the left. Don't turn to your left. Don't turn to the right. Keep your eyes fixed on the author and the perfect of your faith, Jesus. Keep running the race. Don't stop running. If you're young, don't stop running. There's a row four here somewhere on the left. There's a bunch of young people. I just see like high levels of destiny and calling on your life. I just saw when you were worshiping, God is like, I'm gonna explode these young people. They're gonna run my race for me. They're gonna run the course. I've got lanes prepared for them that I haven't prepared for someone else because I trust them. And that is awesome. Run your race. You might be older than that. You might be uh, just a factory of producing great character in children. You might have like seven kids. God wants to say, run your race. Keep doing it. Keep being faithful. If you're older and you're right near the end of your race, don't stop running. You might have a crooked flipping back and you might be like creaky and like your bones are giving up. Don't stop running. Because when it comes to Jesus, we don't get older. We just get greater. And so just keep running. We've got some great old people in our church. They are just super when it comes to their resilience, their faithfulness. They won't stop. Don't stop running. This was a tangent. Uh, faith. He also says keep the faith. So as a warrior, he fought. As a racer, he ran. I hope you've got your shoes on for running. And thirdly, he says, I'm a guardian, and I've kept the faith. He's done his part, but guess what? It's our turn now, because Paul's dead. That guy ain't around anymore. God said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Tag, you're it. You are my witnesses. In your places, in your spaces, in your relationships, I've got races for you to run. I've got fights for you to fight. I've got things for you to guard. And he says you are his A plan. And Paul's not here anymore. And so the question is, will we be faithful until the end? Will we keep running our race, fighting our fight that Jesus has given us? If you think about Acts, Acts was just 30 years. And the gospel went from the Middle East through the whole Mediterranean. On foot, ne? In 30 years. Planting churches, not just like a race, they planted churches, they established people for 30 years. What would happen if you gave your next 30 years, if you have 30 years left in you, if you gave your 30 years to Jesus and you were obedient to him, full of this Holy Spirit, what would God not do through your life? Some of us have two books of Acts left in us. What will God do through my life if I have two books of Acts left in me? As for me, I intend to run the race that God has put before me. I don't intend to waste my life. I want to live as a drink offering. I want to fight the good fight. I want to race the race. I want to keep the faith. And God wants to know, is that going to be you? And if that's going to be you, it's going to be because we get what we have and what we need from Jesus. Because Jesus fought the good fight on our behalf on Calvary. Jesus is the one who ran the race that we never had to race. And we can finish because he said, it is finished. He took our sin. He took our shame. We've been singing about that. 
That's what gives us the power. And so if we love Jesus, we're going to step up to the plate and we're going to say, I'm here to run. I'm not here to collect shells. I'm not going to be on a cruise ship. I'm here to run the race that Jesus has put before me. But the question is, will we be faithful? Because Jesus has ascended and he's given his spirit and he said, I have a commission for you. And I hope that when the great commission comes out that you feel that it's for you. Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and being careful to do all that I commanded you, and I will be with you, even to the end of the age. Paul has done his part in reaching the ends of the earth. But as for the rest of us, since the book of Acts, there are huge numbers of ethnic groups that have not been reached. We've been sleeping as the church. And it's time to wake up, get on our knees, get our running shoes on, get our fighting boxing gloves on and say, but I'm here. Over my dead body, am I going to let this just happen? I'm here as part of God's plan. I might be planted in Joburg, but there's a big picture. All nations need to know about Jesus. And so Abigail's going to come and join me on stage. She's going to talk to you about open doors and their plan for reaching the ends of the earth and the current focus on the Middle East. And so I want us to think not just about our little lives. I want us also to think about all the nations that need to know about Jesus. Abs, over to you. Morning, everyone. Um, yeah. um, I'm here to represent um, Open Doors. Um, they're an organization um, which serves the persecuted Christians worldwide. And um, as James has said, Paul is dead that the gospel, gospel is still spreading. Um, the good news of Jesus is still changing lives today, and it's specifically in the Middle East. Um, but the people in the, or the churches in the Middle East are feeling forgotten. So Open Doors is calling people this week and beyond this week um, to really just spend some time each day um, remembering and praying for the people there, the, the Christians that are being persecuted for their faith, um, the Christians that are in hard times and really do need encouragement to just bring them hope um, in this time. And um, we'll share some details with the life group leaders um, to share with, with the groups. Um, and if, you don't, if you're not in a group, you can message the church as well this week and they can share the, the prayer points with you. Um, and if you'd like any more information on Open Doors, you can come and see me at the Next Steps area afterwards. Um, but I'd just like to share a few stats of what Open Doors has been doing in the last few years. Um, they should come up on the screen. Um, they've opened 160 centers of hope in Syria. They have 126 centers of hope in Iraq. Um, over a million food packages have put in people's hands um, in Syria, and 2,000 homes have been rebuilt, um, Christian homes have been rebuilt in Iraq. So there's just amazing work that's being done, um, and they are funded um, by people like us um, in the free world, um, but also our prayers um, really, really go um, to amazing places. So this week, I really would like to encourage you um, even if it's a, a quick prayer um, in your day, to remember the people that are um, being persecuted for their faith. And I'd really like to pray now if everyone would mind standing up.
Lord, thank you for the work that you are doing in the Middle East, for the hope that your children have. Lord, come and strengthen your children, the men, women, children, um, church leaders, businessmen and soldiers. Lead them and guide them. Give them a fresh revelation of who you are and the hope and joy that they have in you. Let their light shine to those around them, that the people would be drawn to them and they would have such a sense of your presence. The men and women who are being persecuted for worshipping you, that they may be constantly reminded that you are the King of Kings and that their suffering is not in vain. And Lord, I also specifically pray for revival amongst the persecutors. Um, that has read in Acts over the last few months, Lord, murderers such as Paul, jailers, sorcerers, religious leaders, they've all come to know you. And these miracles, we believe, will still happen today in 2022 in the Middle East. That even though Paul is dead, your church will continue to grow. Lord, I, Lord, I pray for strength um, and leaders to rise up, encouragers and disciples um, like Stephen, Philip, Barnabas, Lydia, Paul, Priscilla and Aquila. Lord, help your children to fight the good fight. That they may say at the end of their days that they have fought, and that they have finished the race, that they have kept the faith. That they would be reminded that there is laid up for them a crown of righteousness, which you will award them. And that they would know on their good days and on their bad days that to live is Christ, to die is gain. That they would finish strong, serving you, our King. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing Living Hope, but I want us to consider not only is Jesus my living hope personally, and not only did He save me out of darkness into marvelous light, but He's the hope of the nations. He's the living hope. And so as we sing this, this song, pray it as a declaration and a prayer for the world to know this Jesus, the one and only living hope, that all around the world there's a host of people raising up their hands saying I worship Jesus some of them in persecuted nations some of them in background basements but let us pray and let us sing and declare that there's only one hope for all the nations and his name is Jesus our living hope let's sing